0: Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Christopher Rocchio. Christopher is a fantasy and science fiction author. Um, his series, the Sun Eater series, begins with the Empire of Silence, and the latest book um, you're working on, right? It has a does it have a release date? It's uh, Ashes of Man, correct?
1: Yeah, Ashes of Man is actually out in December on the 13th, so it's almost here.
0: Uh, oh, perfect.
1: This one it will be a six book series, so there's one more I'm working on now. Don't have a date for that one yet. Uh, Well, Christopher, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the series. Yeah, so uh, I'm Christopher Rocchio. I have been uh, working in publishing for uh, about about seven years now. I actually started as an intern for Bain Books uh, when I was in college, and I worked for them uh, up until uh, last summer. Uh, I quit to start writing full time. Uh, but right uh, uh, the same week they offered me the job, I sold my books to a competitor. I wasn't sure I was getting employed, so I've i lived this double life in publishing for a long time, where I worked as an editor for one company and I was published with another, uh, and uh, and that was actually kind of nice, you know, kind of helped keep things a little bit uh, a little bit separate, you know, you're not bringing your work home and you know vice versa, uh, but uh, so I've uh, I've written uh, five novels now, two novellas, uh, about two dozen short stories, working on the sixth novel now, uh, all of that in. The, uh, with one exception, uh, in one, uh, one universe, right? This uh, sort of science fantasy universe, uh, the Sun Eater series, which is a space opera sort of in the tradition of Dune, uh, you know, sort of like Star Wars 2, big Star Wars kid growing up. And uh, it's a 20,000 years in our future. My main character is a noble money, runs away from home, and he, he gets stuck in the middle of a war between the human empire and the first aliens who have ever really been a threat to it. Uh, And so everything I've written has been sort of uh, in that universe, either with that character or with with other ones. Uh, The one thing that wasn't, I did a Thor one-shot with Marvel Comics uh, last year, uh, or was it earlier this year? No, it was earlier this year. came out. I wrote it like last year. Uh, Comics is kind of slow sometimes. And uh, so that was fun. But uh, most of what I've done has been in the Sunny
0: Universe. So, and these are not... This is not a little story, like you're telling a big, yeah. massive story. I mean, the, the first book is, is huge and, and all of them are big. What was the genesis of the story and um, what have been some of your habits to, to maintain um, this, this epic story?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I don't really remember where I, I started because I started writing when I was like eight, right? Like a lot of us, right? so I started writing when I was really little and I never really stopped writing. So at some point in that process, it became this story. Uh, when i started writing you know it was literally just like batman on the back of my notes right Like, it was not the same but i never i was never conscious of like ceasing to write batman or whatever right you know stupid thing i'd made up in third grade uh and starting to write this thing Uh, there was maybe a moment in college where i like cleared the slate and was like okay we're gonna take this more seriously um but i uh the first book i worked on pretty much all the way through college um i sold it about a month after I graduated I got an agent about a month before I graduated so it was really a it was really a school project um you know not like for school but like something I worked on while I was there uh cuz I was getting an english degree cuz as I, as I like to joke I hate money so um uh, you know uh so this was this is sort of my uh this has always been what I wanted to do and um, and so I took it very seriously, right? Uh, it was something I worked on every day. It was something I, I worked on instead of playing video games, right? Uh, I you know, or or going out and you know partying or whatever it is people do in college these days, other than learn. Uh, and um, and so I, I you know I, I waited tables all through all through college. So it was really working and working on this and going to school. And uh, and I really think that that's sort of like the the critical piece of advice is that you like have to. have to work at this like every day right it's like you know um it's like learning an instrument or going to the gym or something right like if you are only theoretically learning an instrument you're you're not learning an instrument right you actually have to practice it and so that was that was always a really high priority for me uh and then it got easier after I sold the first one one because there was you know there's financial incentive uh because I've traditionally published right I got an agent the old way uh but I also um uh, I also had a deadline for the next one, right? And there's something really, you know, uh, sort of c- crystallizing about it, like having a due date. And right. uh, I learned to outline uh, on the second book and uh, and I've outlined uh, thoroughly ever since, even for short stories, you know, I will uh, I'll plan everything in advance. And that really helps too, because I think a lot of writer's block, maybe for everybody, but certainly for me, is just not having figured out, like, and this sounds stupid, but not having figured out what, your task for the day is right like what scene are you actually writing and the outline sort of automates a lot of that i think getting that getting that done before you have to worry about you know paragraphs and dialogue and all that stuff's been really helpful
0: no that's fantastic and i like what he said that you know you have to be consistent with this you have to work as a, a career like if you want to be successful you have to work on it as a as as not a hobby you have to be dedicated to it so you know you did this through college was this kind of like a palate cleanser of all the the learning and all the other stuff you had to do uh
1: no not not well maybe in a sense right because a lot of the books they they make you read in school especially these days are like not fun right uh you know and and i am i am one of those weirdos right who like actually likes the old classics right like i like the greeks i like shakespeare uh you know i like i like like the romantic poets and stuff like that but that's not a lot of they they usually don't teach that sort of stuff anymore and so um you know, really, uh, it was, um, it, so It maybe it was an escape from that sort of stuff, but it was also sort of an escape back to the stuff I like to read, right? I like, uh, you know, classical history, medieval history. Uh, I like um those classic, the classic literature, but I also like, you know, old school science fiction and fantasy. Uh, I don't read a lot of the new stuff either. Um I, I find that like keeping up with, keeping up with the industry at this point is impossible, right? There's just so much of it. But um I, I find that that like what I really as I get older the stuff not that I'm not old, but like the stuff that I like to read is stuff that I already like. Like I reread uh, Lord of the Rings like every year, right? It's my favorite book, right? Which is a cliche favorite book for a fantasy fan, but it is the best one. Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> and so uh I uh and so I uh I have this sort of like uh I, I guess you know deep reading relationship with these books that I really like. Um and, um, and I wanted to write something that was like them, right, in some way. And this is, uh, if, if I get one consistent thread of criticism, it's that the book's too old-fashioned, right, or that it's too obvious what my influences are. But, like, literature is a tradition, right, and you're, like, writing in a tradition and you're in conversation with, you know, earlier texts, right? This is something, if you look at, like, classical literature, it's, like, pretty normal, right? Like, all the Greek stuff is referencing, you know, other Greek stuff, right? Everybody knew Homer, right? Sophocles right. knew Homer, right? Uh, and and so this idea that, like, we have this sort of sense in, in fantasy and science fiction that, like, each book needs to be a new creation, right? It needs to be totally divorced from, you know, uh, the, the greater body of science fiction and fantasy, or from, you know, literature as a whole, or even from, like, the world, right? And you can just do whatever you want in a vacuum. And that's, that's not, that's not literature to me. So really, um, I wanted to do this because I wanted to be a part of that tradition, right? And, uh, and to tell a story that I would have liked as a kid growing up, right? Now, you know, maybe it's a little darker and a little bit edgier, uh, but, you know, that's also a reflection of uh, of some of the stories that I liked growing up. So, um, you know, it was, it was really wanting to be a part of that sort of that sort of chain, if that makes sense, that that made me want to do this. Uh, and that, and it's fun, you know. Like, right. you know, we've got robots and aliens and wizards and you know, sword fights. Like, what's what's not to like? So, you know, you, well, you can't I find lose. that
0: kind of interesting because you know, you get the criticism of like you can see who your, who your influences are, but like, even Shakespeare, his influences was like the the Greek literature and stuff, and and that sure. continues all the way down, like.
1: Yeah, well, Hamlet was a remake. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> like, like straight up. Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, you you stand on the shoulders of giants, and even though it's a cliche to like Lord of the Rings, it is the best, and everybody else is is standing on Tolkien's shoulders. I mean, we have fantasy as a genre because of him and C.S. Lewis and and others at that time. So, yeah, like have them influence you, have them, uh, um, and and not be scared to show that. Like, you know, you don't don't copy them, but
1: have them be your influences and, and learn yeah, from them. Uh, absolutely. Like you can't, you can't exist in a vacuum as an artist or as a person. Right. Uh, you know, if, if you like get you know, totally, like, well, just imagine, right. Like you're, you're cut off you know, from like all the infrastructure that keeps you alive, right? You know, you can't go to the grocery store, right? Or, you know, uh, you can't get stuff that, you know, like we all sort of went through a little bit of this with certain, you know, items, right? Uh, in the last couple of years. And and that's hard, but like, if you get cut off from your sort of cultural infrastructure in the same way, like you actually can't, like, like no, you can't just create, uh, you know, a story in a vacuum, right? right. Like, um, you know, and, and because to do that, you would have had to have been in a vacuum yourself and um and and you never were right so i, I think this is something uh, a lot of writers have some anxiety about is is they're like well you know like um well it's all it's all been done before right and, he, and of course it has but like it was all done like way before any of us were born so right. like like what are you supposed to do not tell stories you may as well not be human um so
0: exactly know. one of my favorite stories i interviewed jim butcher and the The Codex Alaris series was a challenge of a of a guy in his I don't know I can't remember if it's a writers group or just somebody online that he was arguing with and you know basically it was take two ideas and and mash them together and create a story and Jim Butcher's whole thing was like there's no there's there's no like one story like there's no perfect story everything is just uh, an amalgamation of everything else and so you know pick pick who you like who your influences are and 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 grow from that. Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of alluded to two things. One, um, you started outlining on book two. Were you just kind
1: of free writing book one? And, and uh, what, yes. what kind of outline do you do now? Yeah. So book one, because I had theoretically infinite time, right? None of us ever does. But like, I didn't have a due date. I didn't have a contract. and I'm an agent. Um, and I was in school. So, you know, it, you know, when you are a freshman in college, you know, senior year is about 200 years away in your brain. And uh, so I wasn't in a hurry. And uh, so I did. I just sort of, I just sort of free wrote that one. And um, and then when I sold it, I had to do a lot of rewriting. The editor, ed- 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 editing process, that needed to happen really fast. Uh, I think I, I wrote like, uh, hundred fifty thousand words of like new material in like ninety days or something like that, uh, in order to make the deadline for that. And that was not fun. No. Uh, uh, that was, that was a little too fast. Cause like, I, I by no means am the slowest writer in the world, but you know, I talk to folks who do like 5,000 words a day and I, like, I'm, I can't remember the last time I did 5,000 mm-hmm. words in a day. I do like, like one to two maybe. Um, which is a, which is pretty, uh, two is really, is, is a pretty respectable rate. One is, I think a little slow personally, but, um, uh as uh so i i didn't have to to really rush or freak out and you know uh, but the consequence of that is the first book took like three years for me to write um they've taken no longer than eight months since and they got longer uh and part of that's down to the outlining my outlines are um pretty extensive i think the one uh i'm working for this last book i'm working on is like forty thousand words which is like an which would, it, it could win a, a Hugo for best novel, right? Like right. that's long enough to, you know, that's long enough to count as a book. Uh, so they're, they're not short, right? That's like two thirds of Harry Potter one. I, you know, so people get a get a benchmark, right? So it's, it's long. Uh, and, I, and by no means do people need to outline that much, right? But I do think that, I think that sort of, um, I, I think that having some sort of outline probably uh, is useful even for people who think they don't need to do it Uh, because I, you know, I get that, like, um, you know, uh, I get, I get the discovery writer thing, like, I've done that, like, I understand, Uh, but I I found that I got a lot better when I started planning, Uh, and it also took a lot less time, which is even more important, right, because that's a very finite resource, and, um, you know, I've come to think about my outlines as, like, low resolution first drafts, right, now, they're so low resolution that a chapter is, like, you know, 20 lines, right, but that's, you know, um, but I, I think that, that people who do discovery writing, uh, think about their first drafts kind of as an outline anyway. Right. Uh, you know, it's, we're going to have to go back and edit this. And the thing is, is I really like hate the line editing process. I hate going back through and, uh, picking out, you know, sentences that could be better or cutting sentences or adding sentences or moving chapters around that. That's my least favorite part of the whole writing process. So I can, Uh, Sidestep a lot of that by doing some advanced planning, like, boy, like that makes my life a lot easier. Um, And so even when I do a short story, which might be, you know, 10,000 words, right, which is maybe like two or three chapters of a book, right, you know, broadly equivalent, uh, I'll still outline those. And those will be like three page sort of outlines, right. Um, You know, and uh, and that does the same thing that helps solve a lot of stuff. And in short stories, especially right, like they kind of like need a stronger point. Right, because you need to you need to hit the reader a little bit harder in the shorter amount of space that you have, and so you really kind of like, or at least I feel like you need to know what that is going in, right? Whether that's you know a there's like a plot twist, or there's like a you know really strong emotional moment, or there's like a message, whatever, right? You kind of need to know what the point of the the short story especially is, and that's true of books too. I think you need to know what you want to accomplish. Uh, or um, to really have it be the best story that it can be. And, and you can figure out what that is at different points in the process, right? I think discovery writers maybe discover that later in the process, uh, in some cases, right? Because they're, you know, they might be wandering in the woods uh, before they, they're they like, oh, this is where the story's gone. And then they have to cut some of that wandering. But I would rather not do that, right? right. Uh, I would rather have a travel itinerary uh, before I before I head out to the, uh, the forest, so... Well, and it's, I,
0: I've kind of heard that it's kind of the same amount of work, just one's on the front end and one's on the back end.
1: I think that's um, right.
0: And, and outlining in and of itself is a, as a skill you kind of have to develop. Um, so when you moved to book two and you had to outline, did you look at like other people, how they outline or and, yeah, and what, uh, what did you work best for you?
1: Yeah. So I had the, I had the benefit, right, of working in a publishing office right so we were cleaning out some uh old files and there was a david drake outline uh you know military science fiction writer david drake and his books are not that long they're like hundred thousand words maybe 120 on average right He's much shorter you know novel length than mine uh but he wrote these gigantic outlines they were about as long as mine right so they were like you know a third to half of the finished product basically right and um and one of the things that was so cool about working with 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 Drake when I worked at the publishing house is he was so regular right in turning in his uh, turning in his manuscripts that the company kind of based their schedules, their seasonal publishing schedules around Dave's deliveries. And there was something because the writers are, uh, like dealing with writers on the publishing end is sort of like herding cats, right? Uh, And like maybe worse than herding cats because like cats don't like write, you know, rambling excuse emails uh, about why they they couldn't, you know, do their job. Uh, And that's very frustrating on the business end of things, right? Uh, Obviously, you know, I'm not unsympathetic to, you know, the struggle as an artist, right? Uh, But You know, if this is—it's not the behavior we'd expect from like you know doctors or mechanics or you know like oh sorry actually uh, your car is going to be three months late right Uh, because of whatever right it's just not it's not what we'd expect and so I decided I wanted to be like David Drake right I wanted to be uh, you know on time and able to tell you exactly when my book was going to be due even for, uh, be finished you know uh, you know four months out right. And if this was how he did it, then that's what I was going to do. Uh, you know, a very different sort of writer uh, than Dave is, uh, although he is a big Roman history guy, just like me. So you know, we got that in common. But uh, you know, that was the sort of professionalism that I wanted uh, to hold myself to. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, sometimes life life gets in the way, but I've, I've more or less kept my schedule um, ever since. You know. Um, you know, there are, there have been some sort of random factors that happen and that happens to everybody. It happened to Dave while I was there, you know, but, uh, being able to, to be, um, dependable like that was something especially working with a traditional publisher that mattered to me but I think I think that applies maybe even more to like independent writers right because they especially if you're in like a really competitive sort of genre space like like lit rpg right you need to turn material out really fast if you want to stay ahead of the algorithm and to do that I think either you need to like not care about quality at all and just go. And like, I know some writers who will tell you exactly that that's what they're like, uh, and they're not even shy about it. But uh, the alternative is that you could just do a lot of planning and and having that sort of scaffolding um, sort of uh, helps you to stay ahead of these things. So, you know, maybe, you know, if, um, you know, you're in a position where, you know, you need to be writing a new, you know, 60, 70,000 word short novel every quarter, right? uh plan like three ahead of time and like get rolling right right um and um but so that's that that was that was it i had i had the uh the good fortune of finding this david drake outline that was on its way to the trash and that kind of changed how i wrote uh you know forever i think
0: that's amazing that you found that and that you were able to, to learn from him as well um did when when Bain found out that you have a, a book published with dog, was there a little like little side, eye roll at you. Uh,
1: no, no, not really. <laughs> right. Cause so they were looking at it. Uh, I we'd submitted the book to them too, but, um, they, uh, dog just gave a better deal faster. And, uh, and this was, you know, I, I think, I, I think it was like two days before or two days after I got the job. Uh, and so there was, you know, maybe a couple jokes about it, but, uh, but Bain and Dahl both were pretty cool about it, uh. You know, sort of, um, you, uh, to this day, you know, have been have been cool about it. Uh, you know, I I think you know the expectation is that uh, you know go to Bain for the next thing, but uh, you know we'll see, uh, you know we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I've got I've got an agent and and you know we'll sort of figure out how that goes. But no, they were always really cool about it. Um, and, uh, and very supportive too of um. You know, of of the writing, right? Most of the short stories I publish have been uh in Bain anthologies, right? So I wouldn't have had the opportunity to write them if they hadn't kept inviting me to do stuff. Now, part of that was like part of my job was putting together anthologies. I I edited like eight or nine when mm-hmm. I was working for Bane, uh, and so every time I did one, they you know they paid me to put a story in it too because uh, they weren't paying me to edit it because I was on salary, so uh you know save some save some book cost on that uh we're already paying for Christopher. So. uh <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes uh but um but no so th- that was always actually like pretty pretty cool um uh, which like i'm sure it could have been weird because i think at the time i was probably the only person in science fiction in uh the english-speaking world who was traditionally published by one publisher and and working for another traditional publisher uh I, I don't know how many people have been in that position ever actually it's probably
0: a pretty short list so. yeah i think you're probably like the only one in the last 20 years that have done that yeah I, I, I would i would guess i don't know but both are great publishing houses like you know if either one would have been chosen i mean you ch- obviously chose Bob, but like if bane would have done it would have been just amazing too
1: yeah, yeah. No, no. I, uh, no, I, I love Bane, uh, very, very much. Uh, and, uh, and Daw's great too. Uh, you know, I, I think the world of Sonny and, uh, and the folks over at Daw are, uh, they've done, they've done pretty well by me. So. So your book came out, uh, was it 2018 Empire Silence? Yeah.
0: Empire Silence came out July, 2018. Okay. So, you know, and we, you kind of alluded to, to the pandemic. How has your, um, Books done, and how being able to maintain momentum through that because that was a a hard hit for
1: everybody. Yeah, well, so they they didn't. uh, Oh, that's good. Yeah, or 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 they they didn't maintain momentum. Rather, oh, they They, didn't uh, maintain. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think so. There were a lot of articles that went around when all that happened, right? That were like, "Oh, this is great." You know, like more books are being sold than ever, right? And this was sort of the the talk at like the Penguin Random House, Simon and Schuster level. They were like, "Oh, book sales are up. Everybody's home." But um, what, but that wasn't, that wasn't like, oh, books are doing better across the board. That was like, you know, we increased sales of like adult comic books, uh, or adult coloring books, rather, comic books, sure. But uh, um, actually, I think comic books did worse. Uh, but uh, adult coloring books went up right and I think that a lot of people who who did read novels were like oh I'm going to read Game of Thrones finally I, you know I watched the show it's over now there's this new one coming I'm going to get in and, and read all those books right or like, like so I think the like the top like you know five percent of writers probably saw saw a boost right I'm sure like um you know i'm sure stephen king did just fine right but i think a lot of writers who are mid listed down just saw their sales crater because i think that people weren't they weren't browsing right this is one of the great you know the great losses as uh, bookstores fail to keep up with you know amazon and stuff is that the browsing uh experience is just kind of gone um you know you get what the algorithm gives you which is what people have paid for right uh which is um a different experience than just walking down the aisle at you know Books a Million or wherever, right? Um, and um, you know, obviously, you know, if you if you can't compete, you can't compete in the marketplace. But uh, it is a loss, right? And it is a change. Uh, so I, I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of writers just sort of lost their sales, and I was one of them. Uh, you know, I I there's a point. I think my lowest I sold like ten copies of the first book in a week, uh, which is uh, which is not great. Uh, and right. then my third book came out right in the middle of it. It came out, I think, July twenty twenty. Now it like it opened pretty well, uh, but like that book still like has relatively depressed sales, uh, you know, uh, relative to like the first two and, and even to the the most recent one that came out in uh, in this year. Uh, so I've got my fifth one out in December, and, and I'm hoping that between between those um, they'll sort of bring things back up because everything really has kind of rebounded too uh you know not only you know stores open and stuff but uh uh having new books out like nothing sells old books like new books right Right. for an author um and so this is one of those reasons why like you know um like being able to produce material at, at speed and at quality is important if you're a writer right is every time you have a new book out then especially if it's part of the same series universe whatever uh it'll it'll help push all the books you already have out and if you're A writer, right, Uh, you you probably won't be on the New York Times list, right, Uh, but you can totally write, like, 30 books that will sell modestly, and, like, that can absolutely give you, you know, uh, some financial security, right? So, um, you know, and I think that, you know, I I certainly, you know, benefited in that this was my third book in the series that came out, you know, mid-pandemic and not the first one. I know a couple of writers who were in that position and they just they they still haven't they still haven't managed to claw back, right? Uh, but when I had the the fourth book come out, the fourth book had my you know my best sales of any of them in the series in terms of number of copies and how quickly everything's awesome, right? So I think that helped sort of fix things. And I also have been sort of uh, I've sort of backed into this this role where I am sort of all over like book YouTube now. Uh, I started a YouTube channel a couple, uh, I think mid pandemic actually, because I was like, oh, I'm not going to conventions, I should do something. And it's you know, I've only got like 2,000 subscribers, but for an author, like that's not so bad, right? right? Uh, and um, there aren't a lot of traditionally published writers that are that are on uh, YouTube anyway. like Brandon Sanderson has one, but he's less a traditionally published writer than he is Brandon Sanderson, right? So uh, you know he uh, you know he he's sort of in the category all of his own. I think Patrick Ruffus has one too, uh, but I repeat myself, right? Like he's sort of in a special place Uh, in terms of like working traditionally Published writers. I can't think of that many. Brian Lee Durfee's got one. Uh, You know, I, I, and when I say working, I mean like has to work, right. Right. Uh, You know, to live. And uh, you know, so there aren't that many of us. And uh, because I did that, I've been on, like, lots of other channels and done a lot of, uh, like, live streams, a lot of uh, interviews, things like that, you know, doing this here now, and um, and that's and that's really helped too, right, uh, you know, because, um, you know, in much the same way that getting, you know, 100 books published, right, is sort of a substitute for having one bestseller, uh, having, you know, a hundred, you know, uh, interviews on on YouTube or you know uh, whatever service, right, is sort of a substitute for you know being on network TV once, right? And so right. Uh, it's helped, you know, sort of be the uh, the the sort of zerg rush of uh, of self promotion here. I think has helped sort of push things a little bit.
0: No, and that's one of the reasons why I started this is because I, I started it right in the pandemic because, you know. Uh, the conventions shut down, and I still wanted to talk to and meet my favorite authors and stuff, and so I figured, you know, this is one way to help them out. And in fact, uh, I interviewed Peter V. Brett, and he straight up told me that if it wasn't the pandemic, he would have never even read my email. You know, he would have just discarded it, and 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 it would have been gone. But you know, it it provided a way for authors and, and artists to think outside the box of, of a way to to sell your books, and you know, going to you that that must have been discouraging, where you know you're so excited, every writer, that dream of having your first book and then this pandemic, you know a few years later just shuts everything down. Um, how are you able to cope with that and and stay motivated to continue on?
1: Well, having the contract already helped, right? So I had two more books that like were gonna come out kind of like no matter what happened, right um and You know, I, obviously, none of us knew, like, how long it was going to go on, and it, you know, may have gone on a little too long, but, um, you know, uh, in any case, we all, like, there was going to be an end, right, like, things were going to come back in some capacity, right, Uh, whether or not, you know, the bookstore survived or conventions survived, because there was a lot of talk, like, oh, man, are we even ever going to do conventions again? Like, the answer is obviously yes, right, the question is, like, in what form, right? right? And uh, and like conventions have been changing anyway, right? Like it used to be, uh, and, and perhaps not for the better, right? It used to be these little sort of local fan-run conventions. It was like your little local sci-fi community in whatever part of the country or the world you were in. And then there were like, you, you, it, like even Comic-Con started out this way, right? It was just like local comics guys getting together and then, you know, nationally getting together. And now everything's sort of, you know, turned into... Uh, into shopping malls right like most of the the big conventions are like pop-up shopping malls right Mm -hmm. Uh, they're not about uh, they're not about the arts right they're about the the sort of corporate Hollywood stuff right it's about going to meet movie stars like that's cool right but like that is a very different sort of thing anyway right so conventions like you know book selling right like the stores. Uh, are changing, right? Because these sort of new things are coming in and, and out-competing them for different things. Because there are way more people who watch Marvel movies than Marvel movies than read science fiction books. Like, that's just the case, right? Right. And, like, you might be able to, like, grab some movie fans and, like, sell a book to them while they're there, right? They're wandering around. They don't know, right? But the whole sort of, like, culture of uh, of the fandom, right, has changed dramatically in, like, the last 20 years, right uh, certainly in like the last 50 right it's very different sort of sort of place and um and so i was sort of cognizant of the fact that it it was just going to continue to do that right now maybe the only shows that survived right the pandemic were going to be the big corporate ones now that's not quite what happened right There are still some of those local shows are happening some of them did shut down you know uh and aren't coming back as far as i know but it wasn't that that many um, and like bookstores survived, right? Uh, my local bookstore, uh, I have an independent bookstore here in Raleigh, Quail Ridge Books. I've been, uh, uh, for years now, I've done all my like book release signings there, right? Because I, you know, I'm, I'm not fancy enough to get a tour, right? But I can do the local show. And uh, so I do my event there. And then uh, they will... Um, they'll mail people signed books if people order them from their website you can go to quailridgebooks.com uh buy one of my books from them there's a comment section and check out and say hey i want christopher to sign it uh any day of the year you can do that and they'll email me and it's like 10 minutes up the road so i'll I'll go out there and sign it might you're not getting next day delivery because uh, i might not leave my house that day but uh you know i'll do that and so um you know they got um they i i worked really hard to like you know, make sure that more and more people knew they could get signed books from that store, right? Uh, just because I like that store and I think it should be around. And I think a lot of writers have done similar things, right? Uh, you know, or, uh, you know, they've they've done something for like their local convention or, you know, I, I think there's been uh, some more involvement from from sort of those quarters, right? And I think, uh, I, I just don't ever think that I thought the pandemic was going to be forever, right? Right. And like, you know, the next book could fix it. And, um, you know, I could do stuff, right? Like I started the YouTube channel, right? You know, you just, you know, people have been through, humanity has been through a lot worse than this pandemic, right? You know, I could think of several other pandemics that were worse for starters, right? right? And that's without getting into, you know, wars and a volcano going off on the other side of the planet that made the crops fail. And like, who knows, right? Like, 2020 was bad. It was not like, you know, 13, the 1350s. Right. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we were going to, we we're going to make it. So um, yeah, I guess I'm rambling here a little bit. About that. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about conventions. I met you at convention
0: NX um, just last month um, and many people go to conventions for different reasons. I mean, they've kind of built it up, like you said, from this collection of artists, you know, whether that's comic book artists, authors, uh, regular traditional artists and, and, whatever yeah, and, to, and
1: like local fans too right re-
0: yeah 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 to to this big fandom where I kind of see it as like a, a three separate three three separate things and, and that's what I go for you have your your shopping mall like you, you say and then your artists whether that's you know people that are producing art or or authors and then you have the movie stars like and that's totally different than, than anything else so what you know you do you do conventions you only have sometimes just a split second to uh, to sell your book. Um, do you have like a tagline to have, try to help entice people uh, to buy uh, Well,
1: sure. Uh, so I uh, I sort of did a little bit of it at the top. I gave the summary of the book like I like I was doing there, right. I talk about how you know it's a space opera, it's sort of in the tradition of Star Wars or Dune, right? Because people like know what those are, right? At least they know Star Wars. More people know Dune now, thanks to the pretty decent movie we just had. You know, and then I'll you know do that little bit of a pitch, and then usually I'll 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 end everything uh, by saying you know, hey, uh, I like to joke that my main character here is sort of like Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader, where the best of his available options, Uh, because there are plenty of Star Wars fans, uh, you know, who uh, like the bad guys because they have cooler spaceships, and uh, so you want to you know, uh, and James Earl Jones is the best, so you know they uh, they're like, oh, okay, uh, I love Darth Vader. What's that about, right? So. Uh, that's usually my uh, I have three seconds to grab someone move because I, um, you know, I've done a lot of shows sort of cheek by jowl with a bunch of other writers. Right. And everybody is like their own different style. Right. Of uh, And how it, and some writers are really, really aggressive about roping people in and, and like talking to them to the point where like I look over and like this person is just too polite to walk away, dude. Like they, you know. i I, like i literally will i'll I'll see writers be like hey what do you like to read and they're like ooh you know uh you know mostly fantasy he's like well i have a horror novel to tell you about like that's not what they just said right right let them go so like i try not to i try not to be you know that guy right uh you know i just you know um someone looks at the book you know i'll I'll give them a little like 10 second speech which i've uh you know i used to wait tables right so i uh You know, I I used to be able to rattle off a beer list of like 40 items, you know, uh, off the top of my head, right, without breathing. And so doing the sales pitch is a lot easier than remembering the precise order of, uh, you know, Anheuser-Busch products that I needed to recite. So, um, you know, I've had some practice there. But uh, then you just sort of let people go, um, you know. Right. And there'll be another one.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, there's thousands of people that are there, but I mean, you we're at Bard's Tower and people that haven't been to a convention and know Bard's Tower is basically this group of authors that are all in the same space trying to, to sell books. And, you know, not only do you have to compete with the people going to see other things, you know, you have a split second, but you have to compete with the other authors trying to get it. And, and granted most of the authors are, are in the same vein as far as like science fiction and fantasy and some horror, but like, um, but your book is completely different from all of them. So, there's room for everybody but it's still like some people are like okay i know this person and this person that's who i'm going to see and you try to have to bring them in to be like okay now look at look at mine too so that's that's got to be a challenge as well
1: yeah no it is and and some people are better booth mates than others right um some people uh will you know (laughs) I won't say who, but some writers at the same table here will occasionally, you know, jump into my conversation with the reader and then peel that reader away, uh, you know, which is not uh, – that's not cool. But um, but it doesn't have to be a competition, right? This is, right. I think uh, – you know, this is where I think a, a lot of writers – right? I can't remember which writer it was – was, like, complaining that Tolkien had more shelf space at Barnes & Noble than uh, that they did. Uh, and that's silly because people come to Barnes & Noble to buy – Tolkien, because they've heard of him, and they might buy your book while you're there. And so if I'm next to uh, Jim Butcher, right, uh, one, I don't stand a chance. Like, I'm not competing with Jim Butcher. What are you kidding? Uh, And two, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, they came to the booth for Jim Butcher. So they're at least at the booth. Right. Right. And so I, you know, try to be cognizant of the fact that like other writers aren't my competition. I'm not competing with other writers. Uh, Other writers make people read books. Right. And if you know they don't read uh the same books uh, that that I write right uh they're at least reading right and they you know might encourage some other person to read something right right and so being sort being in competition with other writers is like a weird way of being anti reader uh you know like so I just I don't uh, I I just don't worry about that too much if I lose a sale because some you know other writer is being too aggressive at the same table right then, you know, that's that's fine, because very probably that writer just sold a book to somebody who might not have even been the appropriate reader, right? Because some people will hard sell, you know, they'll be so desperate to get a book sold at the show, right, uh, that they will, uh, they'll sell a horror novel to a fantasy fan, right, and who doesn't like horror novels. And that person might leave them a bad review because they were so eager to make, you know, 20 bucks an hour. And, um, and I think that's sort of imprudent on the part of those writers. But, uh, but to get back to the broader point, like uh, authors we're not we're not fighting like most of the books that are published like i'm not interested in right Mm -hmm. and this is true of all of us like you know you're never going to read everything one but you don't even want to uh but the fact that those books are out there still helps encourage this sort of culture of reading right and that's the more important thing um right you know so we're actually all on this together even the writers that like don't like each other are actually in the same boat
0: Mm -hmm. no and you had a good booth mate um you know he very very pointedly told me that your series is awesome and so that's that's one of the reasons why i got it is because i was a big fan of his and so you know and
1: We're talking about uh, larry yeah um, yeah yeah he was larry is one of the best to be at the booth with uh he uh most of the writers that are as big as larry like do not uh take the time to do stuff like that and that's really cool and larry and i have been friends now for uh several years because of course mm-hmm. i worked for fan right so, yeah uh no he's uh, he's one of the best
0: yeah. A great guy. And, and two, I like your point where as long as they're reading, like just because he doesn't pick your book now, doesn't mean later on he will, um, you know, Dave Wolverton, or, you know, he goes by Dave Farland. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I don't know if you know this, but he um, was sent by Simon and Schuster, a bunch of books and he chose Harry Potter for him to kind of um, promote. Right. And after it got big, um, his wife, was like, does that make you angry that she's so much bigger than you? And, she's all, and he goes, no, because now there's millions and millions of fantasy readers that weren't there before. So, you know, rising tide raises all boats, right? So it's, it's, yeah. it's good as long as somebody's reading that maybe they'll, they'll find their way to yours as well.
1: Yeah, even if they never read your books, right? The, the, the fact that that's more sort of cultural interest, cultural investment in, in books, in fantasy, in science fiction, generally, right, uh, helps. Mm -hmm. uh you know you know even even in small ways and when you only sell you know a few hundred copies a few thousand copies right of a title um a couple people is a big deal right and really every reader is a big deal right you know like that's awesome so yeah uh, yeah i I try not to get too uh bent out of shape about stuff like that so
0: so you said you just recently left your job to become a full-time writer how have your habits changed and what were they like when you had a
1: full-time job compared to now yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, so when I was when I had a job, because I feel like it's probably the more relevant part of the question, um, I uh, I got up uh, at least for most people. I got up pretty early. I got up at like, you know, sometimes five thirty, sometimes six, and I uh, I wrote until I had to leave uh, for work. Uh, which, uh, when I had like an hour drive, kind of sucked because that wasn't a lot of writing time. Uh, but when I went down to like 15 minutes, I got a lot more time and that was nice. And then I, you know, did my job, you know, nine to five. Uh, and then I went home and like made dinner. And uh, some nights I didn't write more. Uh, most of them I did, especially when I had those deadlines. Right. So, uh, you know, there was just, you know, not uh, not a lot of time for other stuff, right? So uh, very frequently, you know, especially in that period, people were like, "Oh, have you seen this?" or "You know, have you played?" I'm like, no, I haven't. Like, I had, no, I like Dark Souls Three has to wait, uh, you know. Uh, so there was, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. And I didn't have, um, I didn't have, uh, uh, you know, a, a wife at the time too, either, right? So I was, it was just in my room, like, goodbye, roommates, like, you know, it's time to work, right? Um, and so, um, when I, uh, when I, when I quit, right, obviously that freed up a lot of time, uh, you know, um, and so this book that I'm working on now is actually the first one that i worked on since I, I went full-time, right? And so I, um, I like, I'll get up in the morning at like, you know, seven or something right now, still no kids yet, so I can, I can do that I don't <laughs> have to get up too early. Uh, but, uh, and then I'll write, you know, until I hit my word count right? Assuming I don't have, like, other things to do, like, I've got an appointment or whatever. Uh, and uh, whether that's, you know, 1,500 words, 2,000, whatever, um, once I hit that, then I'll do other stuff. Uh, I may procrastinate from the writing to go, I don't know, like, vacuum the kitchen or something, you know, as, as the joke goes. I'm procrastinating from writing by doing other work. But um, but it, it's basically, you know, um, ideally, I get all my work done by five, and then I have an evening, like, a normal person again, um, you know, so... Uh, And sometimes, you know, I will hit 2000 words by like 11 a.m. I haven't done that in a couple of weeks, but like, if I do that, then I might keep writing, uh, but I might just be like, wow, like you, you did it Christopher, you earned some free time finally. Right. Uh, And by free time, I mean, you can go paint the bedroom. Uh, You know, So uh, (laughs) that's not free time. (laughs) No, it's not. Uh, But you're at least uh, you know, you're at least not at the desk anymore. So uh, so it's just really, it's really sort of helped as far as, um, you know, having having more time because one of the things I think that prevents a lot of people from writing is just it takes time it takes a lot of time, right? If you want to get the book done, you know, quickly, right? Um, then and people either don't want to or can't, you know, give up um, whatever they're doing. Yeah, so um, so that's that's helped a lot. But but the big thing, I, I you know, I remember reading uh, when when I had a job. Because again, I think that's the more me the more useful part of this. I remember reading Ben Franklin talking about his sort of time management, right? And one of the takeaways from that was he was like, wake up early enough so that you can do something before your job, because then your job isn't your whole life, mm-hmm. right? And you know, there's this, a lot of a lot of talk, sort of just you know, in America, I think generally, where where everybody's like, all I do is work and I'm miserable. Uh, you know, I, I just get up and I go to work and then I come home and I watch TV and I go to sleep and my life sucks. Right. I'm like, yeah, that sounds terrible. Right. Like, right. Wake up, er, wake up earlier. Right. That will make you miserable. Right. For a little while, but at least you can do something first. And, um, and those couple like hours before I had to go into the office were where I got most of my work done. Uh, you know, especially once I realized um, I, have a, I have a thing on all my devices uh, called freedom. Uh, and uh, it lets me uh, it's it's the only one that's ever worked for me right it's one of those like you know content blockers right but this one will actually block block me out of the task master on my attack task manager on my computer so i can't go disable it right <laughs> which has always been my problem with these things i always knew how to turn them off so i would uh, so this thing i can i can shut down you know facebook youtube uh really bad about youtube man holy cow uh, I spent a whole day there, no, never, like, never even noticed, uh, or I can lock down like the whole internet or like I can even lock down like messaging apps, right? So nobody can get to me. I can't look at things. Uh, and if I try, it reminds me uh, that I, you know, it's like, go be free, right? right. So, uh, you know, go to your thing. So once I started doing that, man, um, especially locking myself out of YouTube, my word counts like doubled uh, you know, every day. So um, you can do a lot in an hour even if it's like a good hour mm-hmm. so figuring out how to carve out that time is really important uh,
0: right and and when you have to a limited amount of time you know whether before or like you know with me i have a morning routine but then i do most of my stuff in the evening but i only have a limited amount of time because i have a wife and kids and everything else that i have to take care of so it it teaches you to focus to be able to be able to get a lot of work done in a small amount of time and i think for a lot of people that's a good thing to be able to have a goal and figure out some way to achieve it and not give up anything else or or you know give up stuff that doesn't matter like tv or like youtube or you know something that's a distraction more than um something that's productive i think is a valuable thing Um, what you mentioned you know star wars and dune uh, lord of the rings who are some other influences in you, um, that kind of got you in this crazy journey of, uh, of speculative fiction?
1: Um, well, a more recent one, uh, but probably the, the, the biggest one after that list is Gene Wolfe. Um, so I didn't read Gene Wolfe until after I'd written, uh, written the first book and, 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 uh, was sort of like, made uncomfortable by a lot of the sort of like similarities in terms of like theme and stuff. I was like, oh, if I'd read this, I would not have written this book. Right. Uh, But then I read it. So I was sort of trapped. Right. You know, sort of a Rocco's Basilisk problem, Uh, you know. uh, But uh, so Gene Wolfe, I'm a huge fan of Uh, Book of the New Sun is my favorite science fiction series. Uh, Bumped Dune to the number two spot. Uh, Just tremendous writer. Uh, There's going to be uh, fighting words on that one. Oh, I know, but uh, I'm right. So I will take all comers on the subject. <laughs> uh, no, Gene, Gene Wolfe, uh, look, I love Frank Herbert, but Gene Wolfe is a better writer in terms of like pure, like craft skill, right? Um, You know, uh, one of the ways I think that you can sort of evaluate like, like objective quality is like how much could you like cut from the story i don't think there is a uh, i don't think there's like a, a single like word that's out of place in gene wolf's writing it's just so good and i don't think that's true of frank herbert i think he's obviously great but i think he's a little bit less polished than, than than wolf is in terms of in terms of skill so if anyone wants to fight me on this i'm ready uh <laughs> but uh so he's a big one but as far as like getting into uh, science fiction and fantasy. Uh, growing up, uh, so my parents were pretty strict about what I could watch. In particular, uh, you know, I was allowed the Star Wars movies, basically the like Batman cartoon with Kevin Conroy, because they like knew what Batman was, and like TV Land, like until I was about ten, like that was about it. So like Nickelodeon was like not allowed in our house, Cartoon Network, right. <laughs> Uh, like I had to really like lobby to be allowed to watch Pokemon because like everybody was watching it. You know, I was, in, I was a nineties kid, right? So uh, I had to really like. I'm becoming uncooler, right? Not uncool, but like let me watch Pokemon. Geez. Um, and so, uh, but like books, that wasn't really that wasn't really an issue <laughs> for whatever reason, right? Like I um, I was reading really early. I read Harry Potter when it came out, and I was like four. Um, so uh you know so that was that was an early thing and i'm not a huge harry potter fan i really like one of those guys really didn't like the last book uh i thought i thought the ending was bad Mm -hmm. and so like i literally have never read a harry potter book since book seven came out like i haven't seen any of the movies since i think so like i think like the fourth movie was the last one i saw or something like that fifth one maybe um and so I just sort of like walked away. But I really liked, um, like, like Garth Nix had a uh, sort of a YA series. Um, Sabriel was the first one. It's called the Old King Trilogy. I love those books, yeah. uh, you know, and I mo- but I moved kind of past YA pretty quickly because I got really into Tolkien. And uh, like I was reading, I was reading Frank Herbert in like middle school. And then I got really lucky because I went to, I I went to a magnet high school, right? So they had, like, a bunch of weird electives and stuff. And they had a science fiction literature course that was taught by, like, the sort of, like, you know, double bar glasses, like, old school, like, fan from, like, the, you know, like, the 60s and 70s, right? And so I, like, had this, like, year-long course on, um, you know, not just Asimov and Clark, but, like, A.E. Van Vaught. And, like, Lee Brackett and Sia Moore and, like, all the, like, older science fiction writers. Like, nobody talks about it. Like, nobody talks about Lee Brackett anymore. Right. And that's, like, a crime because she's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote the original draft, Empire Strikes Back, right? Which, like, nobody knows, uh, you know? So she's the one who created, like, Darth Vader's castle. Right. Uh, which did show up until like some of the games. And now it's in, you know, one. But um, you know, but she also like she wrote the you know, like Northwest Smith and uh, you know, um, Eric John Stark and like all these fun sort of like back when science fiction meant sort of like, you know, like more like Flash Gordon than it meant like Asimov, right? Mm-hmm. She wrote that sort of stuff, hugely bracket fan. Um and uh and, and so I I had this like really intense sort of crash course on, on sort of the genre, like, as, as an art form and its history, because one of the things that, like, science fiction fans have done badly, I think, is be custodians of, like, their own culture, right, like, outside of, like, the big franchises, right, like, we just don't have a very good sense of, like, how science fiction evolved as, like, a, as an art form, and this is something that I, like, actually, like, had drilled into my head when I was growing up, and so it was, like, through high school, really, that I became, like, a really big, uh, like, tie fi reader, right? Like, really got, got out, of, out of Star Wars, the sort of Star Wars neighborhood and into the broader city, right? And um, and so it sort of went from there. Um, um, so, the, so that was sort of, I guess, my trajectory. Um, now, and one of the reasons why I always ask
0: that question is because, you know, like you said, like, we're not very good custodians of like our history and stuff. And people need to know about Lee Bracken and the other ones that you mentioned. I mean, Osimov, everybody knows, you know, and um, uh, Frank Herbert, everybody knows. But it's these kind of obscure ones that nobody talks about anymore that I think people could really go back and read and, and gain um, value from and, and learn from to, to help them out in their their writer's journey as as they go forward. So... If If somebody was beginning the journey today, what are some of the advice that you'd give them?
1: um the 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 first thing, I guess, would be that you need to work at this every day, right? um the the common bit of advice that I see writers give um, people who want to be writers is always you should read, right? And like well, that's totally true. But at some point, like you have to actually have to stop reading, right? And you actually have to write. So the the thing if you want to be a writer that you really need to do is to write. And now that doesn't need to be, that much every day right but like even if it's a page right like eventually you'll finish right um uh you know it's sort of like i think i remember uh, terry cruz said once like if you want to be a person who uh goes to the gym right and works out the first thing you need to do is go to the gym even if all you do is like you know get a glass of water at the water cooler and leave like just make the habit of going so that you're there right? Mm -hmm. In the same way, like, you need to sit down and you need to actually write something. Now, it doesn't have to be something that's good. It doesn't have to be something you keep, right? But you need to sort of build that habit. Um, And the other thing you need to be uh, concerned about is you need to be wary of writing flavored activities. Uh, This is a phrase that my friend Dave Butler uses to describe things like world building. Uh, World building is super cool, but especially if you want to be a fantasy writer, I think people fall into this trap of thinking that they have to be Tolkien and like you can't you just can't be Tolkien uh you don't have like sorry none of us has the education um uh, none of us uh even the people who have the same degree now do not have the education uh and and he spent like decades of his life working on this mythology because that's what he was doing he wrote the books accidentally right mm-hmm. Muhammad wasn't supposed to be a middle earth story he wrote it was a bedtime story he told his children that he turned into a middle earth story when he wrote it so the books happened by accident um and so um, a lot of us think that you need to sit down and make languages and do world maps and work out the currency system for obscure countries that your characters are never going to visit before you even put pen to paper. That is a lie. You do not have to do that. Um, if you want to do that, that's fine. But you should be worried, uh, like, if you're doing that instead of writing and you're you're sitting there, I say writing flavored, right, because you're, you're sitting there working on your map, doodling, you know, little mountains, you're like, this is writing. Uh, actually, it might be preventing you from writing and I think a lot of people with their struggling to become writers are falling into similar traps where they are doing writing adjacent things whether that's I'm going to watch you know a one-hour YouTube video about Flemish armor right from like the 1400s or something uh you know like sure like you can that's totally worth doing right like believe me I've watched those videos uh but um that might actually be preventing you from from writing. And especially if you're someone, you know, has a full-time job and family and you also wanna write, um, these things might be getting in the way, right? Maybe actually watching, uh, you know, uh, binge watching Stargate SG-1 again is not research, uh, even if it is awesome, uh, you know? So, uh, you know, make sure that you can separate those things that are, uh, you know, writing flavored from the actual, the actual process. Um, again, not to say these things aren't worth doing, but like, that is, I think a, a pretty major pitfall for a lot of people.
0: That's great advice. And, uh, Dave Butler, you mentioned him, um, he's episode two on my podcast and he talks about some of that stuff, um, about being productive and staying productive and and that stuff is important, but you know, uh, the main goal of being a writer is writing. So I think that's great advice.
1: Yeah. Uh, it sounds super obvious. Uh, but, um, I, I, I hear almost no one saying it right mm-hmm. you know everybody's like oh you need to like read stuff or what you need to do is like buy my book about writing uh and that actually that that's the one that bugs me the most love uh you know you can actually learn to write without paying hundreds of dollars to anybody for workshops or or materials you, you don't need to do that um so um. right
0: that's great so the next book's coming out in december Go ahead and tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, how to get a hold of your books. Um, and yeah. if you're coming up to any shows
1: uh,
0: in the next year or so.
1: Yeah. So uh, my website is solanempire.com, S O L L A N empire.com. Uh, and uh, the books are the Sun Eater series. Uh, I couldn't get suneater.com unfortunately. And uh, so uh, the first book's Empire of Silence. Uh, as I said, there are five in the series right now, there will be six, uh, uh, but they're available wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, like I said, if you want to get the books signed, uh, you can check out quailridgebooks.com, their bookstore here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and, uh, just fill out the comment section saying you'd like me to sign your books. Um, they'd be happy to ship them to you. Uh, they do ship sort of everywhere in the world. So if you want to get books, signed books, absolutely. doesn't matter if you live on the moon. Well, the moon is the one place they won't send them, but, uh, you know, we've, Send them to every continent. So, uh, but you can just go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble, whatever you want. As far as shows go, uh, the only thing I've got on the docket right now is I'll be at a smaller convention called MarsCon in January in Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, with Dave Butler. Actually, we're gonna we're gonna slum it, so uh, it'll be fun. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so uh, you know, check things out. I'm also on YouTube at uh, sun eater books i could get sun eater uh on youtube so there we go uh so you want to come uh, check things out i do a live stream like every month answering questions from readers uh about writing uh but about my books as well you know uh about all the stuff that i made up all that world building i said you shouldn't get stuck doing uh so uh you know, come on uh come and check things out
0: perfect thank you so much christopher i learned a lot from you today
1: yeah thanks man i appreciate you having me on
0: thank you for listening to the troy podcast please subscribe like and share with your friends